You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this, you'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute, from just normal guy to professional athlete, many people have daydreams of it happening to them. But believe it or not, there's a scenario where it happens kind of often. In our American political two-party system, it's common to see mascots representing the two major political parties, a donkey for the Democrats and an elephant for the Republicans. But how did these really random animals become the face of these parties in the first place? The process of buying something on the internet from a person instead of a company isn't really new, but it is often frustrating. So a new way to do it, one where we don't buy things from each other, but instead we give them to each other, that should be better, right? Eh, all of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. Jay, we recently went to a professional hockey game together, so I guess first of all, did you enjoy yourself? Yeah, I had a great time. It's uh, it's one of those sports that's a lot better to watch live than it is on TV. It's just uh, it's a good experience. That's the right answer because I, of course, used the connection to get you free tickets. So you you should have had them. <laughs> well, of course, you had to drop that. You know, you, we we've established on this show that you love to know a guy. <laughs> I mean, you definitely oh, know gosh. a guy. <laughs> Do I love knowing a guy? But Jake, you know, hockey is interesting. Not at all the most popular sport in America, actually more of a traditionally Canadian sport. Unlike the NFL or NBA to many extents, hockey is a more regional sport. You live in Detroit? Chances are you're a diehard Red Wings fan. Boston? You probably own some Bruins gear. Much of that lack of popularity is probably due to accessibility, though, right? Like anyone can go play soccer or shoot some hoops. It's a little more difficult to find a skating rink let alone learning how to skate. That's kind of difficult. But aside from all of that, hockey is pretty awesome. And you're right, it's a lot more fun to watch live than it is on TV. There's incredible strategy. There's incredible uniform designs and gear. And there are incredible fights. Like you can actually punch somebody and not go to jail. Think of, I mean, hockey guys, they're knocking each other's teeth out. It's just part <laughs> of the game. But Jay, there's also one of the most fascinating rules in any sport that happens in hockey, the e-bug, or in non-hockey fan talk, the emergency backup goaltender rule. Jay, the emergency goalie is a rule that hockey teams hope they never have to use, but nonetheless, a rule that fits in to the desperate times call for desperate measures category. In fact, how about this? I'll just read you the official rule. Okay, here we go. In regular league and playoff games, if both listed goalkeepers are incapacitated, the team shall be entitled to dress and play any available goalkeeper who is eligible. This goalkeeper is eligible to sit on the player's bench in uniform. So, Jay, I want to make sure you caught that. Yes, a random guy can basically find himself in a scenario where he is the actual goalie 
for a real professional hockey team. <laughs> it's like the ultimate dream for like any person who played high school sports. Like, oh yeah, they they know they know they know that it's me and that I have the passion and that I'm ready to get out there and prove myself. <laughs> yeah, Jay, and I'm telling you, emergency goalkeepers. The stories are things straight out of Hollywood. Like take Eric Simborski, for example, back in 2016. A then 23-year-old youth hockey coach, Simborski got the call to come in for the Chicago Blackhawks after starting goaltender Corey Crawford had an emergency appendectomy and they needed a backup for their backup, Scott Darling. Simborski arrived and got dressed just 30 minutes before the game with the team actually sewing his name over a Corey Crawford jersey that they just had laying around in the locker room. Zimborski didn't get in, Jay, but he was really close. In fact, the coach actually came over to him at the end of the game and said, get ready. And Jay, something else about emergency goalies that's kind of wild, they don't usually get paid. Zimborski was compensated, but with a free trip to Chicago for his family and the promise of being honored during a future game. More recently, there's the story of Thomas Hodges in the Anaheim Ducks in 2022. For the final 20 minutes of the Ducks game against the Dallas Stars, Hodges, a then 27-year-old insurance agent, played the entire final period. And Jay, while some emergency goalies are retired pros, many, like Hodges, aren't. In fact, his only professional experience came in the minor leagues where he played one time for exactly one minute. And Hodges, Jay, who had been called a few times before but never actually put into a game, had to ask one of the other Ducks players what the score was when he entered the game. <laughs> but, Jay, perhaps no emergency goalie story can top David Ayers and the Carolina Hurricanes in 2020. Ayers, a 42-year-old Zamboni driver, you know, the big machine that smooths out the ice, played an entire game for the Hurricanes and actually helped them win 6-3 to three over the Toronto Maple Leafs. Ayers, who did have some minor league and rec league experience at least, received a standing ovation after the game, has his stick in the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto, and Yes Jay has a Hollywood movie in the works to tell his story. Of course. Let's say that right like during that game that we were at, they come up into the stands. They're like, we need you. And they point at you and they put you in. All right. You're in there for, let's say, like a period. How many goals are you allowing? <laughs> Be realistic. <laughs> well, I... uh, I'm thinking probably like 18 <laughs> at least. <laughs> So Dave, on the topic of mascots, we're going to be talking political mascots, but just mascots in general. Are there any professional sports mascots or just anything else uh, in that realm that kind of stands out to you? Maybe one that you like or one that's more memorable? Well, I've always been fascinated by mascots because you think about like Mickey Mouse or something. You're at Disney World and all the kids are hugging Mickey Mouse and, and you forget that it's just a guy. There's a person in there, and they're probably miserable most of the time. And they're just they're <laughs> doing this wacky thing. They've become somebody else. So the, just the whole concept of a mascot is really interesting to me. But my favorite mascot is actually from a, a localized level. So a long time ago, I used to call baseball at uh, the minor league level, like uh, play-by-play on the radio. And there was a, a mascot for a brand of lemonade that would come to the games that was a honeybee. 
And I just, I, I don't even know, I never met the person in the costume, but I just used to think it was funny. And so I'd always talk <laughs> about the honeybee on the broadcast. And the honeybee, he'd wave to me and I'd wave to him. And so we kind of had this relationship, but I, I've never met him. So I have no clue who he was. And if he's listening, I'd still like to know. Yeah, it really sounds like the one that got away <laughs> for you. Well, we're talking political mascots. I thought about just putting you on the spot and asking you who you voted for in the last three elections, <laughs> you know, but just to really polarize our audience. But, you know, we just, we'll keep it uh, not political. Nader? On commute. Is, is Nader still on there? <laughs> I think he gave that up. Now, do you know the mascots of the two major political yes. parties? Donkey and an elephant. Okay. And which is which? It doesn't matter which is which. No, the the, the donkey is the Republican. <laughs> no, the see, you're wrong. No, the, I, no, I meant the donkey is the is the Democratic mascot. <laughs> you had a fifty fifty shot. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave, to understand how these mascots came to represent the parties, we of course need to go back in time to the early days of American politics. So, the first political parties in the United States were the Federalist Party, led by Alexander Hamilton, and the Democratic Republican Party, led by Thomas Jefferson. Now, these parties did not have official mascots, but they did use symbols to represent their values and beliefs. So, fast forward to the mid 19th century, and we find ourselves in the midst of a presidential election campaign. In 1828, Andrew Jackson, a Democrat, was running against John Quincy Adams, a Federalist. During the campaign, Jackson was often referred to as like the not nice word for a donkey or a family show Mm -hmm. by his opponents. And he embraced the nickname, though, by using a donkey in his campaign posters. So the image of the donkey stuck and it eventually became the unofficial symbol of the Democratic Party. So then jumping over to the Republican Party and the elephant, we have to fast forward to 1860 when Abraham Lincoln was running for president against three other candidates. During the campaign, a cartoonist named Thomas Nast drew a cartoon featuring an elephant labeled the Republican vote. The cartoon was meant to symbolize the strength and power of the Republican Party, and it was pretty well received by the public. So Nast continued to use the elephant as a symbol for the Republican Party in his cartoons, and eventually the image became associated with the party as a whole. But it wasn't until 1874 that the Republican National Committee officially adopted the elephant as its symbol. So now that we know how they came to represent the parties, it's, I think it's important to ask why they were even chosen in the first place. Well, for the Democrats, the donkey was seen as a symbol of perseverance and stubbornness. Jackson embraced this image because he saw it as a way to turn a negative, an attack, into a positive. The donkey also represented the working class voters in several political cartoons of the time, and that kind of made up a large part of the Democratic Party's base. For the Republicans, the elephant represented strength and intelligence, or at least it was meant to. So Nast's cartoon showed the elephant, for example, breaking chains labeled like monopoly or slavery, symbolizing the party's opposition to these institutions. So the party just sort of ran with it from there. And while these mascots have become iconic symbols of their respective parties, it's important to remember that they're just that, symbols. In fact, the use of political mascots has kind of come under scrutiny in recent years, with some arguing that they kind of promote a tribal mentality and contribute to the political polarization. Others argue that they're just harmless symbols and they add a little bit of fun and personality to the political process. But whatever your opinion on political mascots, there is no denying that they are an important part of American political history. From the donkey and the elephant to the eagle or the rooster, political symbols have been used for centuries to represent values and beliefs and political ideologies across the board. Now, this is a true story. 
Okay, let me preface it by saying that. I'm not <laughs> making this up. So a few years ago... You seem kind of defensive. Right a, the... Just because where this goes, you'll think I'm just, I'm just making this up. Um, so a few years ago, a costume shop that was somewhat local to where I live um, was closing. And so they had this big sale where they were selling all their costumes. When I say a costume shop, this was like you rent these costumes. They're legit costumes. And so one of the costumes, at least according to them, they claimed, was one of the Barney the Dinosaur costumes that was used on the show. And so I thought, well, the bidding starts at 100 bucks, Well worth it. Imagine if I had that. Like, I owned that costume and could put it on. So I thought, well, I'll bid. So I got into a bidding war with somebody for this costume, and it really got out of hand. Thankfully, I got out of it before it actually came to me, and I won it. But I got up to $300 that I had bid on this costume. I think it finally sold for like 600 bucks. But at one point, it was like back and forth between me and this other person. 120 140 160 180 200 Sounds like you just got addicted to the thrill of the auction more than anything. Now, you know there's a controversial Barney documentary out at the moment. Have you heard about this? Uh, I feel like vaguely. Give me it's, the cliff notes. <laughs> I mean, there's too many to tell. It's it's called, I think it's called like, I love you, you hate me or something like that. Ooh. It's about how like Barney, the whole thing was just like insane, crazy stuff going on behind the scenes of that whole show. I think it's on like... Peacock or Paramount Plus okay. or something. It's on something I don't know. Well, maybe we'll do a trial and watch it. It's a good way to do it. You wait till something good is on there and then you get a seven day trial. Yeah, but you can only do that once. No, not if you have a ton of credit cards. <laughs> you mean emails? Well, then you have to attach your credit card. And oh, yeah, that's true. I really don't have much experience in this arena, but I know that you have dabbled from time to time in the world of online buying and selling through places like Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace. So share with us a, uh, an experience, if you would, from your past. Well, it's always been nightmarish um, for the most part because <laughs> it always follows the same pattern and I just keep doing it for some reason whenever I need to get rid of something, but I always think it'll be different this time. But if I, if I need to get rid of like a piece of furniture, it's been the most common thing. I'll go on Facebook Marketplace and I'll post something saying, hey, I got this uh, bookshelf or whatever. And I'll already like mark it way down. Like I'm not asking for a lot here. And then, of course, you'll get about 100 people send you messages like, is this still available? Is this still available? Okay, yeah, it is. Can you bring it to me? I live uh, 20 minutes away. I'll give you gas money. It's like, no, like I'm literally asking you for one thing, like come and get this, which is already marked down. And then it's like, okay, I'll be there at five. So then I like rush home from work and I'm like, all right, I'm waiting on somebody to get here. And then they never show up. And then I message back, hey, I thought you were supposed to be here at five. Well, then they... Oh, I, I forgot. I'll be there tomorrow at 8 a.m. or something. It's like the most inconvenient time. They just, and eventually, they slowly take over your life. There's been multiple times where I've gone back and forth so much and gotten just so frustrated. I've just been like, it's free. It's on my porch. Whoever gets here first can have it. Well, well, Jay, most <laughs> Facebook marketplace, especially stories that I hear anyway, aren't all that different from yours. One example is a friend of mine who listed a broken weed eater. Like it was in the description that it was broken online for like $10, $20. I can't remember. I mean, it was really cheap. All anyone wanted to do was trade him things for it, like bags of clothes or ask him why it was broken <laughs> instead of make an offer. 
<laughs> so, Jay, because of this, at least in part, about a decade ago, a new concept arose online. A system called Buy Nothing. Started by two friends in Washington State as an experiment, Buy Nothing groups operate on the concepts of reducing waste and building communities through an exchange of goods at the hyper-local level. To protect this concept, Jay, the millions of members in the thousands of online Buy Nothing groups adhere to some rules, both big and small, that exist within that ecosystem. At least in concept, these rules are to uphold the integrity of the model. Enforced by local volunteer administrators for each group, rules range from things like the obvious, don't sell things, to the more debatable, like posting links to where certain items can be purchased online is a bannable offense. And Jade, the groups and the concept can be awesome for people for a variety of situations. New parents, people moving to or from a city without any household items, even people who are just down the road from you and need just a tablespoon of something to complete their dinner prep. It can take on the look and feel of what true community is all about. People just sharing things with each other. But Jay, as with anything that is good, it can easily become bad. Sometimes the rules meant to provide structure can rip things apart. You don't have to look very hard or very long to find tons of stories of group admins becoming drunk with power, kicking people out of groups over the smallest of offenses. One instance, reported on by Washington, D.C.-focused DCist.com, tells the story of a person who was banned for suggesting that a breast pump, that had been unclaimed, by the way, be donated to Afghan refugees. (laughs) Or another instance where members looking for new puzzles to do were suspended for weeks for trying to just simply trade puzzles with somebody else. And Jay, most (laughs) groups are not forgiving at all. It's one strike and you're out forever. Bookshelves given to elderly neighbors outside of the rules, fishing poles, Halloween costumes, you name it. Anything you think of has probably been the subject of some drama in the buy-nothing world. One of the original founders of the idea, Rebecca Rockefeller, told DCS.com that while it's easy to point fingers to a potential problem, the real issue is probably just the required structure for a group like this. When you put a human being or one or two people as administrators of a private group into the position where they have to make the call on whether people are allowed to join or not and they have to enforce these rules... It's an unequal power that they have over their neighbors, Rockefeller says. Anytime there's an unequal power distribution, that attracts different sorts of personalities, and it has a whole host of impacts. So, Jay, as with anything, good ideas can turn ugly quickly when actual human beings get involved. So what about you? Do you think maybe you'll join one of these groups instead of your usual attempt to sell something? Or maybe better yet... You'll just start one. No, I, I don't like the idea of people uh, having petty power over me and being able to uh, to ban just because they're annoyed with me or whatever. It's just, I don't, I don't want that kind of drama in my life. Yeah, like if you want to give something away, you're just going to leave it on your porch. Right. Just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post it on Facebook Marketplace. It's going to be there for a week. I'm going to get mad about a hundred times, and then I'm going to just give it away. <laughs> that's, my, that's my process. When we moved into our, our current house, the guy that lived here before, left a bunch of stuff, which you cannot do, by the way, when you uh, sell a house. And so we called him, or we called, called the realtor, and we are like, hey, this guy's got to come get this stuff. 
And uh, she was like, okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll get a hold of him. So we went to work. We come back home. He had gotten it all and put it in the yard with a sign that said free. <laughs> I feel like he's the kind of guy that would be an administrator in one of these groups. <laughs> and that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. We're on social. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jason, and I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week. Do you know how to roller skate? I mean, kind of, but like not well. Just that, like if you gave an average person roller skates, like that's... That's just what I would do. You know what I mean? Like it's not <laughs> here's here's the real question. Uh, it, given the choice, are you roller skates or roller blades? Uh, probably skates. Uh, yeah, skates. That's I knew you'd say <laughs> skates. Yeah, because you look like a skates kind Feel of. Like, I'm a blade. Yeah, I'm a well, blade. It's not a surprise. In high school, I don't know if I was in high school or if I was in junior high, but these two guys legit got in a fight, like a fist fight, where they got suspended. And they were fighting about what's harder, rollerblading or roller skating. <laughs> well, who won the fights, skates or blades? So definitely the blader. <laughs> Imagine telling your, your future spouse, like, oh, yeah, I got suspended in high school. And like, oh, what for? Did you prank the principal? Like, nah, I beat this dude up because he thought skates were hard. <laughs> <laughs>